great preacher, Haddon Robinson, tells the story of a young woman who went to her pastor to repent of the sin of pride. And she said to him, Pastor, I come into church every Sunday and I look around and I think to myself, I am the prettiest girl in this church. She said, I I try to stop and, and I just can't. Am I horribly sinful? Pastor thought about it for a moment, looked at her and said, no, my dear, not horribly sinful, just horribly mistaken. We're wrapping up a series entitled Good News, and we've been talking about three keys to the gospel. We talked about the nature of sin, the power of the cross, and today I want to talk about the response of repentance. When we see the depth of our sin, when we truly see the depth of our sin, we will recognize the need for the cross. And when we understand what took place on the cross, it'll move us to say, how do I now respond to what Jesus has done for me? Acts chapter 2 gives us the account of the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit comes in power, the disciples are shaken by the sound of the rushing wind, right? Tongues of fire appear on their heads, and they take to the streets, and they begin praising God and speaking in tongues and other languages. And the people that see that happening, what do they think? They think they're drunk, right? And Peter says, no, 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 that's not what's going on right here. And timid Peter, remember timid Peter, the one who denied Christ, now he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach the gospel boldly. And as he preaches the message, and people hear that message, Scripture says that they're cut to the heart, right, by it, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, how do we respond? And Peter replies there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will. All throughout Scripture, we're told that for the forgiveness of things that we've done wrong in our lives, we need to repent. But repent is not a word that's used outside of the church, right? It's, it's pretty much a church word, and so sometimes we don't really understand what it means. Some Christians worry they haven't truly repented of their sins. Others believe they have when they haven't because it appears to me they have a different definition of repentance than the Bible, but here's what you need to know about repentance. Hopefully you got a note sheet today. I encourage you to follow along. First thing there is repentance is taking a U-turn. Repentance is taking a U-turn. It's turning around and it's heading back home. And really, it's not as much a command as an invitation to set our hearts toward God, to set our hearts toward home. The basic meaning of the word repent is to turn from doing something wrong and to begin doing something right. And this is important because there are a lot of things that get mistaken for repentance that do not actually include stopping our sin. Secondly, I would say this, repentance means to convert or to exchange. We're exchanging the currency of this world for God's currency. We're exchanging the ways of this world for God's ways. Next, I would say this, repentance is restorative. Remember, we talked week one of the series about how Sin has distorted the image of God in our lives. Remember, I tried to break the picture frame that that wouldn't break, right? But sin has distorted the image of God in our lives. And because sin has disfigured our lives, 
God's desire is not only to forgive us of our sins, but actually to restore us to our intended design and purpose. Repentance, therefore, involves a serious change of mind that leads to a change of direction. The Greek word metanoia means to change one's mind. The Hebrew word implies a a change of direction. Understand, repentance is not just being sorry, okay? It's about a radical heart change in our attitude toward God and sin and others. In repentance, we begin to see sin as God sees it. We begin to actually hate sin in our lives. Repentance is not just about what we turn from. Again, we turn from sin and disobedience, but it's about what we're turning toward. We're turning toward God himself. We're turning toward Jesus in love in obedience and trust, right? Now, in order to repent, we need to change our mind about a few things. I want to give you at least three things that we need to change our mind about. Number one, you change your mind about yourself. You change your mind about yourself. You realize, man, I am not fundamentally a good person deep down, right? I understand the sin nature, right? I understand my propensity towards sin. You also recognize I'm not the center of the universe, okay? I'm not the king of the world. I'm not even the king of my own life. He's the king of my life. Secondly, I would say you change your mind about sin. You come to a place where you say, you know what? I'm responsible for my own actions. My past hurts don't excuse my present failures. We we understand that my offenses against God and against others, they're not trivial things. They're not minor things. They're serious, and I want to deal with them. One of the challenges, I think, of discipleship in our nation is that people have been led to believe that correction is rejection rather than the love of the Father. But we need to change our mind about sin in order to understand that God brings conviction into our lives by the Holy Spirit, and he actually leads others to come into our lives to admonish us, to speak correction in love. Why? Because he loves us and wants to see us grow. Listen, it's okay to not be okay today, but it's not okay to stay that way. Amen. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life that would change you, that would transform you. Third, you need to change your mind about God. You need to come to a place where you say, you know what, he's trustworthy. His word is sure. He is actually able to forgive my sins and to save. I come to a place of saying, I I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I owe him my allegiance. He's my king my sovereign, and he wants what's best for me. Coming to a place and saying, I believe that about God. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Paul said, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, understand, repentance has always been hard, and it will always be hard, okay? No one likes to be told, die to yourself, kill that sin in you, right? Admit that you're wrong and change. That's never been an easy sell, which is why the church in America so often shies away from repentance. I'll tell you, it's much easier to get a crowd by leaving out the repentance part of faith, but that's not being faithful to God's word. It's not even Christianity if you leave out repentance. Of course, there's a whole lot more to following Jesus than repentance, but certainly not less. Repent, Jesus said, or you will all likewise perish. Wow. Repentance is hard. Regret, on the other hand, is easy, right? How many of you have ever done something you later regret? Come on, let's be honest, right? We've 
all the mad things you said. You go back and say, why did I do that? That was so stupid, right? Here's the thing. You don't have to see your sin to feel regret. You just have to feel bad about the consequences of your actions, right? It's easy to have regret, but that's not necessarily repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad that you got caught. Rather, repentance says, thank God he loves me enough that I got caught, right? He loves me enough to actually expose sin in my life because he wants to see me change. I want to take you today to the book of Jonah. We're going to the Old Testament, all right? If you want to turn there, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3. It's Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So if you have Micah or Nahum, you've gone too far, but turn, make a left and go back, all right? The book of Jonah. We're going to talk about the story of Jonah because I think it gives us two great examples of repentance. First, we see repentance in Jonah the prophet, and then we see repentance in the Ninevites that he is prophesying to. Jonah was called by God to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, that that God was going to destroy the city because of their wickedness. But Nineveh is such a wicked place, it's such a a powerful city, that Jonah is afraid for his life. He said, I don't want to go there, right? He doesn't want to go into this environment and preach repentance. It's like going to Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, right, and yelling out repentance. That's the picture, right? He, he would much rather say, God, just judge these people. I'm going my own way, right? And so instead of taking the next flight to Nineveh, he jumps on a ship and he sails toward Tarshish, right? Which is the exact opposite of the known world at that time. God says, go this way. All right, I'm going this way, right? Jonah is running from God, but I love this story because God runs after him. This huge storm springs up and it threatens to destroy the ship that he's on and the sailors figure out, man, Jonah is the problem. And they ask him what they should do. And he says, you got to throw me overboard. They don't want to do it, but the storm is finally so bad that they throw him overboard. The storm stops, and Jonah begins to sink into the sea. But in God's mercy, God doesn't let Jonah drown. Instead, he sends a fish to come and swallow him. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Now, last week we talked about types in the Old Testament. You know, the language is is so strong here that it draws our mind to the New Testament where the same words are used, right, of Jesus' death and burial. This is why Jonah isn't just a type or a shadow. He's also a sign that points us to Jesus. But while he's there in the belly of this fish, he prays and he repents. He admits to God his wrong, and the fish spits him up on dry land where God calls him again to go to Nineveh. Now, this time he obeys, and he goes and preaches to them this message of repentance. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in its breadth. It means it takes you three days to walk across the city. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. city of fish, right? And the people of Nineveh actually worshipped the fish god. So think about this. Here's Jonah spit out of a fish, right? Don't you think that, that got him some, some uh, credit, right? As he went and he, he began to speak to the people. We read that Nineveh is such a large city that realistically it would have taken him three days to cover the city. But on the first day, Jonah begins and he prophesies this message to the people. Jonah may have said more, but we're, we're told this is what he says. Forty more days and Nineveh is going to be overturned. He may have shouted it as he walked through the streets. He may have talked to individuals as he passed. He may have mumbled it under his breath for all we know. But what we know is that he's only one day into a three-day preaching tour and the people repent. Understand from the world's perspective, the people of Nineveh did not need to repent. Understand our society today sees no need for Because our society has the wrong view of sin. That's why we need to start with sin when we preach the gospel. Understand, our society has a wrong view of sin. Today, society calls sin chance, but God calls it a choice. Society calls it fascinating, but God says, no, no, it's fatal. Society calls it trivial, but God says sin is tragic. But picture this. The Ninevites are this powerful, arrogant, violent, wicked people. Jonah's this little guy from this weak nation at the end of edge of their soon-to-be empire. They could have taken his life for saying what he said that day, but they don't. Instead, miraculously, they listen to him, and they recognize the evil they express. When the king himself recognizes the evil of the city, when he says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence, the confession that is the beginning of repentance it is not just a recognition of a mistake, but it's an understanding that we've offended God with our action or our inaction. Verse 5 points to this when he says there, the Ninevites believed God. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of a son who takes his inheritance from his father and he runs away with it. And he spends his money on parties and prostitutes. And when the money runs out, surprisingly, so do his friends, right? And he comes to the end of himself, he comes to his senses, and he returns to the Father, and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. That confession is the beginning of repentance. It's not just recognizing that our bad behavior hurts other people or that it hurts ourselves. It's a recognition that it's against God himself. And that recognition ought to lead to regret or conviction story of Jonah, we only see a little regret in Jonah for his disobedience, but the Ninevites demonstrate the greatest example of regret and repentance in, in all the Bible. They hear Jonah and they respond immediately. They declare a fast. They remove their fine clothes and they put on sackcloth and ashes. They go about mourning, and this is a complete fast. From the, the least to the greatest in the city, they all fast. Even the king, when he hears the news of this impending judgment, he gets off of his throne. In all humility and sorrow, he trades his robes for rags and is thrown 
makes a royal decree. It's interesting. It wasn't even necessary because they're already doing with the decrees, right? And the fast that he decrees extends to the animals as well. In a day, Nineveh goes from being this powerful, arrogant, wicked city to become a city of massive worship. Now, we don't know how long the fast continues. Jonah prophesied that destruction would come in 40 days. You, you can't go 40 days without water, right? But the fast could have lasted that long. And, and the Ninevites teach us, really, about proper sorrow for our sin. And, and I think we so often lack that sorrow. Because we've become so used to the grace of God, we can take it for granted. You see, the moment we feel the, the slightest discomfort of our sin, we can run to the altar, right? We can run to the Father. We can be forgiven. That sin is removed. The weight of that sin is removed. And that's the right response, hear me. But I think that if we recognize the offense of our sins against the holy God, we might learn to, to mourn and fast a little bit more, right? In our repentance, we can oftentimes be more concerned with stopping feeling bad rather than understanding the offense of our sins. Nicky Gumbel tells a story of a man who sent a check to the government for back taxes, and he he had a note attached. He said, I, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes. I had to send you this check. If I don't feel any better, I'll send you the rest. Right? It's funny, but sadly, that's the way we deal with sin in our lives, isn't it? We repent of one sin because, man, the guilt's just too much to bear. But we leave other sins unchecked because, you know what? It's not a big deal. Understand, the truth is any sin ought to be a weighty thing in our lives. In Psalm 32, David speaks of the weight of, that our sins can have on us. He writes, when I didn't confess my sins, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you study the history of revival around the world, you find that when revival came to the Orkney Islands off of Scotland, they say that the spirit of repentance was just so strong that sailors that were sailing past those islands all of a sudden felt like they needed to dock their ship and go find a, a church and go and confess because the weight of their sin was just so great. I, I believe it's the same when the Spirit of God begins to move in our midst, right? All of a sudden, there is a weight and there's a heaviness to sin in my life. But understand this, when we talk about repentance, fasting and mourning are, are not the be-all and end-all. Isaiah 58 people of God are fasting and mourning, and yet they get mad at God because he doesn't answer them. How weird is that, right? Isaiah 58, verse 1, it says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to church. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and, and you don't even notice. I will tell you why I responded. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You 
humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance and bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? When it comes to repentance, we know this. There are times that we can fake the tears and we can even fast. Are, are not really the broken and the contrite hearts that God desires, but God wants a change of heart in our lives, church. He's, he's ultimately after our hearts, not just our behavior. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For this kind of sorrow God wants us to experience that leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks sorry about my sin. I'm, I'm sorry I did that, but there's no turning from sin. He says it results in spiritual death. Understand this. God is looking for a change in our behavior. When you look at the story of Nineveh, we know the king of Nineveh doesn't just call the people to fasting. Again, he calls for a change in behavior. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. One of the problems with the Israelites' fast in Isaiah 58 is that even during their fast, they continue to what he's done, he says to his wife, I'm, I'm sorry, love, I went the wrong way. But if that's all he does, is that enough? If all he does is say, I'm sorry, I went the wrong way, is that enough? No, his saying sorry isn't getting them any closer to where they want to be. It isn't even stopping them from getting further away, right? To get where they want to be, he needs to stop the car, turn it around, and go back on the correct road that his wife told him to take in the first place, Right? That's repentance, right? It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go down the right road. When the Pharisees come to John the Baptist, he, he challenges them. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he, he says this to the Pharisees. He says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. In other words, true repentance leads to a changed life. Paul describes his preaching ministry in this way in Acts 26, verse 20. He said it was first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and to the Gentiles also. He said, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Wow. Understand, when we accept Jesus by confessing our sins to God, we're accepting his forgiveness, but we're also saying I'm going to stop doing the things that I used to do. Stop doing the things that I know that are wrong. I stop doing the things that I know displease you, God. Paul details what this behavior change might look like in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, So stop telling lies. Good place to start, right? He says, Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. 
instead use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you hear them. Read that again. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you hear them. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you the place As people sought to be filled with the Holy Spirit in that time, they did all that they could to confess wrongdoings and to, to make restitution of things they had done wrong. But it unexpectedly caused some serious problems for the shipyards along the coast of Wales. You see, over the years, the workers had sold in uh, so many kinds of things, wheelbarrows and hammers and tools from their jobs. However, as they sought to be right with God, they, they started to return what they had taken, and the result as a result, the shipyards in Wales soon became overwhelmed with all this returned property. There was just so much of it. And they looked at all these huge piles of tools and several of the yards actually put up signs that said, if you've been led by God to return what you've stolen, please know the management forgives you and wishes you to keep what you've taken. Like, that's how crazy it was. People just say, I just got to get right. I got to make restitution for the things that I've done wrong. Can you imagine if that type of repentance came you say, well, well, pastor, it seems like we're so so far from that. We, we strayed so far from that. Understand today that repentance is a move of the Spirit of God. We see that in the story of Nineveh. What happens in Nineveh is nothing short of a miracle. It, it's impossible to even imagine that Nineveh would repent at the sound of just the voice of a reluctant prophet walking through the city. What would it take for America to repent? Nothing short of It would take a miracle for our nation to repent, but nothing is impossible with God. America's not too far gone as long as God's on the throne. As long as He's on the throne. But church, we need to we need to preach the message of repentance. We need to preach the message of turn from your sin and turn to God. And we understand today that it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to change. This is what Jesus says. Spirit in John 16. John 16, verse 5. It says, Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, who is that? The Holy Spirit. The counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Who is it that convicts the world? It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin and righteousness 
and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of guilt in regards to sin. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says this, that the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Understand, with the presence of the Holy Spirit comes conviction over things in our lives that are wrong, right? Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would never repent. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, our nation will never repent. Why? Because, again, our society has a wrong view of sin. God's mercy on Jonah after he repents and he determines to fulfill his promise to God. God sets him on dry land and he, he comes to him again. And I, and I love this because God doesn't say, I'm glad you repented, but you're finished prophesying. I'm going to send somebody else to do this. No, the words at the beginning of chapter 3 are a mirror image of the words at the beginning of chapter 1. In other words, God gives him a second chance to be obedient and to be blessed. For some of you today, God is giving you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance to be obedient and to be blessed. When we repent of our sins, it's because of God's mercy that he often allows us to return to where we should have been if we'd never gone down the wrong road in the first place. We see God's mercy on the Ninevites. This chapter begins and ends with God's mercy. Verse 1 is God's mercy to Jonah. And verse 10 is God's mercy on the Ninevites. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to all their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction. And God sends Jonah to warn the people of the destruction that come. But understand, he's just been
That's not just saying sorry and saying I'm going to turn away from that thing finally. I'm not going that direction anymore. I'm going 180 degrees the other way. Peter said it this way, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me as we close today? Here's what I find so tragic is that we've separated salvation and, and baptism. We separated repentance and baptism. You repent over here three years later, you, you get baptized, but I don't think those things should be sent, separated. Okay? In the New Testament, you see over and over again, they believed and they were baptized, right? And so baptism is the next step. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, be baptized. Why? Because baptism is symbolic of our death in a watery grave. When we go under in the waters of baptism, we're declaring that we're dying to ourselves, we're dying to sin in our lives, and we're coming out of the water as a new person with a new mindset. Some of you have yet to be baptized. The first Sunday in September, we're going to have a baptism class right here before, uh, right after each service. I would encourage you to come, learn what baptism means, take that step of
empower you to, to live differently. Some of you need to begin to change your mind, change your mind about your understanding of yourself. You can't do this on your own. you got to lean into him. You need to change your, your mind about sin, that thing that you call just a little sin, just a little white lie that you say is not a big deal. It's a big deal before God. He wants to deal with that in your life. You need to understand, change your understanding about who God is. is no different than where I'm standing right now. It's the same room, okay? But listen, sometimes it takes a physical action to declare what's really going on in our hearts and what we think it is. And so if you truly can, just turn to God today. Say, God, change my mind. Whatever area that is, let me meet you here. So just come as the worship team needs to come. Find a place at these altars. We would love to pray over you, pray for you. We'd love to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just fill you today to begin to move out.